Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day of your life. I'm your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also the author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. I'm also the developer of goal-achieving psychology and my website is www.thementalhealthgym.com. Just as we hope you'll listen and download these podcasts, we also hope that you'll visit the Mental Health Gym website, make it your source for information about positive health psychology. Hope you'll like us on Facebook and other social media outlets. As listeners to the podcast know, the bulk of our podcasts are really devoted to bringing leaders in various fields to our podcast to enable us to get all kinds of information to lead our lives enthusiastically, learn new skills, and become the best version of ourselves that we possibly can. And I am especially delighted and really thrilled to have today's guest with us. I first met Lisa Pineda at a TEDx event where we both were presenters. It was actually Lisa's second, which makes me a little jealous because (laughs) TEDx is a hard gig to get on in the first place. But Lisa is so enthusiastic and so capable and so able to spread her message that I thought it's really a must that she be on the podcast. Lisa Pineda is an international yoga and meditation instructor, documentary executive producer of The Yogi, and a global retreat leader. She combines decades of experience in healthcare. Don't know how we got decades in. Lisa seems to be so young, but decades of experience in healthcare as an award-winning multimedia journalist and yoga instructor to create endless space for authenticity. Lisa advocates for individuals and families who are struggling to start a family with her creation of Yoga for Fertility and a mindfulness meditation app. Really thrilled because, number one, I've been practicing yoga and meditation for a number of years, so we do have a shared interest. But also, a lot of times on these podcasts, we talk in general principles. Lisa's going to give us some concrete things that we can do to better ourselves, and really looking forward to getting started. So, Lisa, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Thank you, Ron. It's truly an honor to be on your podcast. I'm grateful to have met you at TEDx Jefferson. I'm so glad we had the opportunity already to meet in person, and I was inspired by your talk. Thanks a lot, and let's get into it. As I mentioned in the introduction, it sounds like you've got lots of things going for you. A lot of times when I introduce somebody, I know what they do on a weekly basis or daily basis. They go into an office and they function, and I don't know if you go into a studio every day, do you do things online, or how do you spend your week? I'm a yoga and meditation instructor. I teach group classes to students at local yoga studios, gyms, and schools. I also conduct individual private sessions. 
I lead various types of yoga workshops and events for those interested in deepening their practice. During the summer, I lead classes on the beach for sunset yoga because I live out here on Long Island and we've got dozens of beaches, which is a really great way to get my students outdoors and really conducive to practicing yoga in nature. I also host a yoga retreat annually in Costa Rica. Some of the different types of yoga classes I teach are Ashtanga Vinyasa, a physically rigorous sequence, Hatha, a basic beginner type of yoga, restorative yoga, a gentle relaxing form, yin yoga, a deep format, yoga for fertility, which is a sequence of yoga I created on my own from my personal experience in fertility treatments to share with individuals, couples, and families who are struggling to conceive, prenatal yoga for the expectant mother, and postnatal yoga for the new mom looking to ease her way back to class after having a baby. So my yoga clients range from young fit athletes to pre-postnatal to yoga for fertility, older adults. I also teach yoga to individuals with disabilities, special needs, and autism. My day starts out, I invest in a daily workout. I find that if I can get it done early enough, it really sets the tone for my day. I try to vary my workouts, whether it's yoga, Pilates, running, swimming, or lifting light weights. I also carve time out before I leave the house in the morning to meditate. I find it very important to fill my cup because I find that if I'm running on empty, I won't have anything left to give to other people. I'm constantly on the go, but I love being my own boss and setting my schedule because I'm not a nine to five behind the desk job person. I enjoy the different personalities of people that I meet. The only drawback to my job is that my days are long. Depending on the experience of the student, I'll use various yoga formats, meditation, and breathing techniques. I teach at various studios, gyms, and at private clients' homes. Boy, that sounds like a really, really full day. And I'm really glad that you mentioned self-care in there, too, because I think for many of us who work helping other people, it's a challenge to make sure that we fit in time for our own practice of self-care, whether it include yoga, meditation, exercise, and other kinds of things, because otherwise we can't be our best for other people. So I really was happy to hear that. But one of the things as you were talking that came to mind, I don't want to take anything for granted. And while uh, I may have a pretty good idea of what we mean when you say yoga and various types of yoga, there may be some people listening out here, you know, I mean, I think everybody's heard about yoga, but I don't know how many actually know what takes place. I know I didn't before I got into a class. I had a fantasy of what it was going to be like. I thought it was going to be easier than, than it was initially, but it really is great. But I still don't know that I could totally describe it. Yoga is about linking the breath to movement. And yoga is also not just about the physical postures. Yoga also encompasses meditation and breath work are also part of yoga. Yoga means to yoke or reunion. And yoga is also about the relationships that we have and hold with each other. 
in yoga, we practice non-attachment, not just attaching to things like our house and cars, but attaching to emotions, attaching to sensations. Those attachments are going to happen because we crave them and they make us feel safe and secure, but they also stress us out and weigh us down. And we carry these emotions around and they become who we are. That's just us. And so we practice non-attachment in yoga, loosening the grip. And it's not something that you can just conquer in a day or even in a lifetime, but you practice until it becomes easier. One of the things that impressed me when I started doing it is the fact that it's not a competitive thing, that you're really, you know, enhancing yourself through these various kinds of things. And as a, um, this may sound a bit sexist, but as a traditional male who was probably had more in the area of strength and flexibility, as I said, it was hard at the beginning, but I really felt a lot of support from the instructor and, and from others in the class. And I think the, the non-competitive nature is something that's really kind of important and enhances one's growth in the process. Exactly. And that's a wonderful feedback that you gave me and experience that you gave me about your yoga practice. I get the question a lot if a student should be able to touch their toes or be super flexible in order to do yoga, but you do not have to be flexible at all to do yoga. In fact, you just have to have an open mind to show up. When you take the time to practice on your mat, you leave class feeling a lot better than when you first arrived. There are so many postures in yoga that can be done and performed with modifications if necessary. So for example, a simple seated posture on the mat with a twist will open the rib cage. The simple movement of lifting and separating the vertebrae and opening up the ribs will help deepen and lengthen your breath or elevating the body in a bridge position where the soles of the feet are flat and the knees are bent and the pelvis elevated up off the floor. You are stimulating the central nervous system in this bridge shape. You mentioned that you also do or have done Pilates. What's the difference between yoga and Pilates? So Pilates is more focused on the core and building a little bit of uh, more abdominal strength. And yoga is more linking the breath to each posture and movement. I'm always interested in people's journeys as to how they got to be who they are today. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Because yours is kind of a non-traditional career. And I wonder, you know, is it something that you started out studying in childhood? Well, I guess that's the simplest way to ask it is how did you get to be who you are? Sure. Before I became a yoga instructor for many years, I worked as a multimedia producer in communications where I would research companies, interview employees, write and produce videos for marketing. I loved it and had the opportunity to travel domestically and internationally for my job. As I moved up in the corporate world, I never really felt satisfied. I always felt like something was missing. I was always into health and wellness. After work, I would go to the gym to release stress from the day. I thought I would change up my workout and try a new class and 
that's when I discovered yoga. Before I found yoga and meditation, I suffered from anxiety, insomnia, and stress. Over time, when I was being honest, I realized I started to hate my job. Right after I discovered yoga, the events of September 11th occurred. At the time, my husband and I lived three blocks away from the World Trade Center. We were not working in the Twin Towers, but still close to ground zero. And I was at home at the time. I felt the collision and the building shake, and the air was so dense and thick with smoke seeping in through the vents. We were so lucky to survive. So to escape the trauma of 9-11 and the events after, I found solace at a nearby yoga studio. At first, I was drawn to the physical practice and how the workout made me feel and look. Eventually, it was the spiritual aspect that kept me coming back for more. When I did yoga, I felt a sense of renewal and ease. Outside of class, I was a confused soul with no purpose. I always wanted to make a difference through leadership and service, but wasn't quite clear on how. I wrestled with the question of what to do next with my life. Do I continue to stay on my current career path, find a better job, or even become a yoga instructor? I already had a solid practice as a yoga student for a couple of years. I studied with senior instructors, took workshops, and went on retreats. It was a natural transition for me to move from student to teacher, so I took the plunge to become a yoga instructor. I left my corporate job behind, taking yoga teacher training in New York City, and I have never looked back. Becoming a yoga instructor quickly transformed my life, so much so that I felt inspired, even benefits of yoga and meditation with others. Teacher training was intense, but it deepened my knowledge of yoga, and it even gave me the confidence to start a private yoga business right away. Even though I didn't make as much money as I did working in the corporate world, teaching was the best job I ever had, one I felt truly passionate about. I knew I'd made the right choice. So after teaching yoga for a couple of years, I started to feel another longing. Deep down inside, my desire to start a family with my husband was calling, but had always been cast aside because of my career ambitions. My journey to get pregnant was a struggle. At age 40 at the time, my doctor told me I had a 10% chance of succeeding. But in my heart, I knew this had to be wrong. I had conceived and miscarried before, so at least I knew my body was capable of becoming pregnant. I was determined to have a baby. In the past, the breathing techniques I'd learned in yoga helped calm me during some of the toughest times I had miscarried. These times were so stressful because I felt like my body had failed me. And my yoga practice brought me back to a place of centering and calm, reconnecting me to myself. It helped me to become less anxious. Yoga helps to reduce the amount of cortisol, the stress hormone that runs through the adrenal glands. And so I used yoga to bring my body to a stress-reduced state where I was able to conceive. Today, I'm the proud mother of a miracle son. In my heart, I know that it was yoga that allowed me to become a mom. Boy, what a story. I, uh, I didn't know what I'd be hearing when I raised that question, but it really is an inspiration for all of us. And 
I probably mentioned to you somewhere along the line that my wife was a prenatal instructor, you know, so I've heard lots of stories about the way the breathing techniques and so on can be very liberating for people who have had difficulty conceiving. And, you know, again, this is a great inspirational story. One question I, I was wondering, I know with like weightlifting, things of that nature, there are kind of guidelines in terms of not doing upper body work two days in a row or lower body work two days in a row. I've seen people take multiple yoga classes in a day or, you know, one day following the other. Is there any restriction or or problem with assuming you have the time with taking yoga classes whenever you have the time for it? Absolutely. Consistent yoga practice is definitely recommended. The more you practice yoga, the more flexible and the more strength you build in the body. So for women, as we get older, I highly recommend some of the weight-bearing poses. As women, as we get older, we develop less estrogen and stressing the bones, some of these weight-bearing poses, they build strength in the body. You can't get enough of a yoga practice. It definitely enhances the body physically, but also the mind-body-spirit connection. When you take the time and practice on your mat, you definitely leave class feeling refreshed physically, emotionally, spiritually. You can't get enough of it. Okay, great. Well, I hope that your uh, next answer is going to prove that I was right, but I started taking yoga classes as an older adult, and I know a number of our listeners, although we aim at a general population, the nature of the book draws a number of older adults who obviously have their own set of interests in this regard, and I'm wondering, is there any uh, contraindication or any obvious reason to think that it's a particularly good thing to start doing it at an older adult age? Yoga is absolutely recommended for older adults. It's never too late. As I mentioned before, you build strength in the body when you stress the bones. Movement is medicine. And as you get older, you just can't get enough. Breath is our life energy, our life force. In yoga, the Sanskrit Indian name prana is breath. Prana is called chi in China, ki in Japan. No doubt you attain more vitality through yoga by using the breath as a tool. There are studies out there that show yoga can slow down the aging process, reversing Alzheimer's and preventing dementia, and you create neurons. Tension and anxiety accelerate the aging process. There are different formats of yoga that are quite accessible, such as chair yoga for older adults if they prefer not to be on a yoga mat. But I highly recommend yin yoga, restorative yoga, or a gentle flow yoga class. Yin and restorative yoga is a type of yoga where it is all performed seated and laying down on the mat. I think older adults will not only gain from the physical postures, but will appreciate what it does for the overall mind-body-spirit connection. And some older adults, as they approach retirement age, may find 
they have more time to dedicate themselves to a consistent yoga practice. BKS Iyengar is the founding father of Iyengar Yoga and one of the first teachers to practice yoga to Westerners. He was a sick teen with tuberculosis. His grandfather and his father passed away at an early age. He was expected to not live long and didn't have access to great health care. But his steady yoga practice helped him battle his disease. Iyengar believed that once balance is achieved in a student's body, it will soon be reflected in his or her mind. That's really going to be helpful for a lot of our listeners. And one of the statements that you made is when I'll absolutely try to remember the movement is medicine, because it's something that, that I truly believe. And I think too many people kind of look at the older age range as time to kind of sit back and not be moving, and that can really, really be counterproductive and unhealthy for you. You mentioned a number of types of yoga, and I'm wondering, for someone who has never done it before, how do you really find out uh, what's an appropriate studio or what's an appropriate type? Or let's say somebody is, as I'm sure many will be inspired by what you're saying and say, geez, I'd like to give it a try but I don't know how to, how to go about it. Obviously, if they're on Long Island, we'll have ways of reaching you that we'll discuss, but you know, somebody in the middle of the country who's not accessible to you, how do they learn? Sure, so the best way to find a yoga class that is suitable for you is to just try different classes at various gyms, studios, or community centers schools, universities, and even your local library offer yoga. Yoga is so popular now. Ask them about the different offerings, the different classes, the different styles. You can now even access online via YouTube thousands of yoga and meditation classes. I offer a few on my YouTube channel. If you've never done yoga before, ask for an entry-level class and Try different teachers, see what resonates with you, then carve time out to be consistent and go more than once a week. It takes more than one class to really experience yoga. That gives us some really good guidance. And the number of classes that are available online, I know, is, is up in the uh, probably hundreds or thousands. Is that an adequate substitute or is it something to be used as a supplement? Or I'm always a little concerned to say, well, you know, if you try something, might you hurt yourself or should you be getting an evaluation from somebody first? Or what about the online class? How does somebody know what to trust or not? So you should definitely research the instructor find out a little bit of their background. You don't have to do everything an instructor says, even if it's online or in the class, you should modify, you should listen to your body. You should never push yourself into performing a certain pose or doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable. It should resonate with you. Yoga is not a competitive sport whatsoever. And you should never try to look like the instructor, like your neighbor on your mat. 
yoga is an internal practice where you're feeling more and thinking less. So if for some reason you're a little hesitant, you should have a discussion with the instructor if you have access to the instructor, or you should review the content of the instructor's materials before you begin the session, or just take a quick look and see if the practice resonates with you. Is there anything that you should be feeling good or bad? In other words, with with some types of exercise, we know we have to go through some muscle soreness and so on. Is this expected as part of yoga, especially, again, if we're not starting out all that flexible and so on? Or with yoga, should we not expect, you know, to be hurting the day after? Sure. So when I first started practicing yoga, I definitely felt soreness in my body because I wasn't used to some of the postures. There were times where I would push myself and that's just my personality. But there were times where I had to completely stop going because I needed time to heal. But over time, I learned that yoga is not about the physical postures. It's also learning about meditation and breath work. You see yoga and the asanas, which means postures in yoga, that's just a part of the pie. There's also learning about meditation and there's also learning about breath work. But definitely, uh, just going back to your question, if you feel any soreness or if you need to take a break, just like with any regular fitness activity that you try, you should take it to the level that's conducive for your body. Okay, that's good to know. I've been giving yoga, giving yoga some credit for things that I'm not sure if it's deserved or not, but I know, for example, that since I started practicing yoga, I seem to eat differently without setting it out as a goal. I've lost a certain amount of weight. I've just generally feel better. And I'm just wondering if the very nature of the practice itself kind of has the secondary benefits, even if you're not trying. I know I can, uh, for example, turn my neck a little, <laughs> little more than I used to and do certain kinds of things that reflect increased flexibility. But I'm just wondering, do you find this to be the truth that you make healthier food choices or that your lifestyle changes in some way other than the what takes place in the class? Absolutely. So the more you practice yoga, the more you become more aware of how your mind reacts to certain situations and you become less reactive and more attuned to what your daily habits are. So for instance, if you have that craving for a cookie, you may feel like instead of just diving right in and eating a cookie, you may feel like, okay, let me take a couple of breaths. And once I take a step back and realize that you know, maybe I'm just using the cookie to cover up something else that's bothering me. 
that's a way of becoming more mindful of your habits, using it to be more reflective of what you're doing throughout the day as opposed to being more reactive. I think that's one of the huge benefits of yoga. You use the mindfulness meditation to become more aware of your daily habits. And I think that's an important thing to point out supplementary wise is the issue of mindfulness. Since I know you also instruct in that area, can you give us the short course on what mindfulness and mindfulness meditation is? Sure. So if you're just starting out, I recommend you meditate from anywhere from five to 10 minutes a day. You can start with even less, maybe try it for one minute in the morning. And when you sit still and relax for that long, move to two minutes or even take 10 minutes out of your day to remain mindful when drinking tea or water to focus on your breath before sleep. You are never truly comfortable in your mindfulness meditation because you're expected to sit still with your thoughts and the physical sensations. And that's a challenge for some people. It's like lifting the car hood and checking what's underneath. And that can be a daunting process for some. It gets easier with more practice and time. Mindfulness is a type of meditation, but the goal of any mindfulness technique is to achieve a state of alert, focused relaxation by deliberately paying attention to thoughts and sensations without judgment. And this allows the mind to refocus on the present moment. The energetic drain we sometimes experience is tiring or overtaxing for the mind. After two to three hours of binge watching Netflix, you'll feel drained or brain dead, but your mind will still be swirling about. Control of the sense organs through meditation replenishes our energy because we are not using it up gathering, grasping, or filtering information from the outside world. Even just sitting quietly and closing your eyes for a few minutes or for a few breaths is calming and can replenish your energy. It's calming for the mind because it downregulates the sympathetic nervous system. And it does have carryover in so many ways. I mentioned the matter of eating differently. And actually, one of the examples I put in my book is the fact that we, where I work at the Headache Center, sometimes when people come back from vacation or different vendors would provide snacks or something and somebody would bring in something from their vacation and i used to always think geez if i don't take it now it may not be here you know two hours from now and maybe i'll i'll want it but my mind shouldn't be on two hours from now so i began to start focusing on you know not eating unless i'm hungry you know it seems like a simple enough thing because you know it's just not necessarily the way that that i had been programmed before. So mindfulness combined with yoga really seems to fit. And I think it's been a tremendous lesson. A lot of the things you've told us have been so useful, so meaningful, and really appreciated, which unfortunately brings us near the close. So I want to find out a couple of things. Number one, if somebody does have access to some place where you are teaching, how do they find you and also for the many people who are moved by the things that you've said, people who may 
be struggling with pregnancy issues. Just generally learning how to overcome some bad habits and get into practicing yoga and meditation. Number one, if if people can access you readily, how do they find you? And also, do you have ways of people reaching you online or in other ways? And what can they get from you? Yes, Ron. So my website is lisapinedayoga.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at Lisa Pineda, Facebook, Lisa Pineda Yoga, on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is Yoga for Fertility. On YouTube, my channel is Lisa Pineda Yoga. Okay, so there's lots of ways of reaching you. Pineda, if I'm correct, is spelled P-I-N-E-D-A. That's it. Okay, and and all this will be in the show notes too. So if somebody's listening in their car and so on, you're not going to miss out on it. it. It will be available on the show notes and you'll be able to benefit from all the things that Lisa has to offer. I promised that this would be a practical podcast that would be helpful to lots and lots of people. We hope that we've educated, provided a lot of useful information and inspired people to make some changes in their lives. I can tell you that it's made a significant change in my life when I started practicing yoga and meditation. And obviously it's transformed Lisa's life from her former life where she was also very successful. Can't tell you how proud I am to have had you on this podcast, Lisa. Thank Uh, you so much, Ron. You've added a lot. I think the, the only things I would probably also want to make people aware of, I think, are both of your TEDx talks on YouTube. That's right. You can access the TEDx talks on the TED site. Okay, great. Hopefully, all of you who are listening will download, rate, review the podcast, come back the next time when we'll have another very interesting guest. This has been Ron Kaiser podcast is rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Again, my website is www.thementalhealthgym. And if you haven't yet picked up the copy of Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, it's available on Amazon. Thanks again, Lisa. Look forward to speaking with you again. And best of luck to you as you move forward and help so many other people. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you again, Ron, for having me. Thank you.